Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What up, y'all? Chris and Shay here. And today, Brad's going to be speaking with Matt Middleton. He's the CEO at Advisor Circle, which is a venture studio and incubator that's modernizing the wealth management industry and inspiring the leaders of the industry today to think and act differently. Our industry doesn't need to be dull and boring and traditional. And there is so much more room to be creative and more impactful and more innovative, more fun. And Advisor Circle love everything they're doing is building products that are leading the charge. The products they spit out of their studio come out in different forms, including conferences or what we'll call experiences, okay, festivals, software applications, media, and what unites all of them. Just something that Matt is known for is vision. And this vision is that when you connect the most innovative financial services companies with forward-thinking financial professionals, good things happen. So if you want to be on the cutting edge of our industry, this episode is an absolute must-listen. Now, before we get to the show, Matt shared something super special for DVDL listeners. Matt happens to be, which you're going to hear in this conversation, uh, the creator of the world's largest wealth festival, Future Proof. It's a four-day immersive outdoor experience, completely different from any other event in our industry. Brad and I were fortunate enough to attend and speak on stage to a live DBDL podcast episode this past summer at Huntington Beach. Not only did we learn a ton, but it was amazing. It was an absolute unforgettable experience. This is not an event that we're going to miss again, full stop. So if you want to level up your business, be surrounded with some of just the greatest minds in our industry and um, have some really amazing experiences along the way this event, it's definitely something 10 out of 10 encourage any advisor attending. So it's happening in September, 2024. And best part, Matt's offering up an exclusive discount to every DBDL listener. As of today, December, 2023 registration is not open yet. That will be open in the coming months. So that discount code is not available yet. But as soon as it's available, we're going to be sending it out to everyone that is a DBDL insider. Okay. So if you want to opt in and become a DBDL insider, you're going to text the letters DBDL to the DBDL insider phone number. Okay. That's 785-800-3235. We're going to just confirm that you're added to the list. You're going to start receiving our insider content that we send out in our newsletter every week, some behind the scenes stuff, and then the occasional text message. And as soon as we have that discount code, we'll share it with you. Please note text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by replying stop to any message you receive. If you want the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, people discussed, you can grab those at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 42. As always, thanks for listening. Without further delay, today's conversation with Matt Middleton. Welcome to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. Really excited. We've got Matt Middleton here with us today. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Brad. Looking forward to it. Man, I was joking. Like, we've literally done a podcast before the podcast. <laughs> we just like started just talking like background and conferences and future finance. So I already know this is going to be a really fun conversation. But as we dive in, I think the best place to kick it off is you've got a really interesting journey through finance that has led you to creating some really, we talked about conferences and events. I wouldn't even title it that. My time out at Future Proof, that was an experience. And I know we're going to get into that, but really it, it started in kind of finding your way through finance, through media, and through your time at Informa, and then has led to what you're doing today with Future Proof. So for those unfamiliar, maybe we just like give the short bio of how did Matt you know, find his way through finance and what brought you to where you are today? 
Yeah, no. So I appreciate the time here. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Like most people coming out of college, I had a lot of ambition with what I thought I wanted to do. Taking it a step further, even, you know, I grew up pretty poor, you know, not a sad story by any means. Grew up in a uh, great family. My mother passed away super young. My dad and my mom met at 14. They dated. So you know what that's like, like, you know, first type of girlfriend, boyfriend situation. Unfortunately, with everything that happened with my mom, my dad ended up moving in with my mother at 16. And then I ended up raising my aunt, who at the time was 13. And so, yeah, so it was just a situation that is very hard to kind of understand. You know, I I put myself, you know, I'm 36 now. I'm still trying to figure out life. I can only imagine what they went through. And so when you look at that is I was born into this, you know, very small family, but very gritty Irish Catholic my parents ended up figuring it out. They had my brother at 20, my me at 22, my sister at 24. So again, like, you know, Delta, you know, not the greatest set of cards and then double down on that. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my early childhood was much about, you know, being close, you know, family, you know, kind of having a, you know, a kind of moral code, but not much resource and not much financial knowledge. And, you know, fortunately, my parents worked very hard to put me in a position where, you know, kind of I could elevate a bit further. And so, you know, got me into playing sports. And then I ended up going into a Catholic high school. And really, that's when I got exposed to people that weren't, you know, of my situation, let's call it right. Mm -hmm. Um, People that came from wealthier backgrounds, had people that worked in different areas. And that led me into uncovering like the finance industry. So at that time, I really looked at it and, and it's like, all right, well, you know, young kid didn't really have a path like, I'll go do this. You know, saw it in a couple of movies. I'm like, this looks fun. And so I went to school and I bounced around. I did entrepreneurship. I went to sport management. First, I wanted to be a sports agent, realized law school wasn't for me. And then ultimately decided like, I'm going to land on finance. And so I went to school for financial services, graduated naive and bold, like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, tear this industry up and very quickly realized that unfortunately at the time it's a closed door industry, right? You it's either, you know, someone and you get placed you have some mentors and again, you're placed or you have money, right? And so, you know, I found myself trying to enter the space young and hungry, but with no resource. And ultimately it led me to, you know, someone saying like, yeah, we'll sponsor you for your seven, but write a list of people, you know, on this. And then very quickly, I realized like, all right, they want to list out wealthy people. I didn't know anyone wealthy. And so, you know, I was kind of very early on left with a a bad taste in my mouth about the industry. And then when I say the industry, it's massive, right? Because you just show how naive I was at that time. And so, you know, fast forward, I got an, an entry-level job at this company called Informa. You know, they were a big media publisher that did B2B events, business intelligence, et cetera. And so I started cold calling, right? Calling people, come to this event, you know, selling advertisements, doing all of this. And I cut my teeth there. And what I realized is that I really just loved working with people. And then so bounced around. So early days of Informa, I was kind of early on the fintech scene. Fintech when before fintech was like it and it was cool. It was really like early days payments, processing, really non-sexy stuff. Did that for a couple of years, then bounced into you know the hedge fund space and kind of learned that like sliver of the industry. Then I found in 2016, Informa acquired a business inside ETFs. It was a bit, at the time, the largest ETF event. 
met up with who my co-founder is now, Matt Hogan, and he became kind of a mentor of mine, if you will. And I fell in love with the ETF product because what it did is it embodied this really democratization, if you will, of investments. And it stuck to me because I was like, wow, access. I like that. It's something that I felt I didn't have going on, you know, growing up and then going into my early professional years. And so then that led me into, you know, understanding the advisor role and then following this trend of this, you know, acceleration of the REA space. And I just loved what it stood for, entrepreneurs, fiduciary, freedom, doing things differently, like challenging the status quo, building the business that you like. And I just, again, then I started connecting all of the dots from my career of, you know, fintech and seeing how technology was enabling, you know, these REAs to go and build you know, better businesses serve more people. And I just really Mm -hmm. fell in love with our sliver of this industry, the financial advisor, mostly the independent financial advisor space. And so from there, you know, that led me obviously to getting connected with a lot of my partners today and starting Advisor Circle in the height of COVID in 2020. Well, thanks for that download. I didn't realize we had a shared background in cold calling. That was fun, right? (laughs) But I relate to a lot of that story. I grew up small town Kansas farm kid didn't come from much. And it's crazy how many people when you meet them in finance that have become somewhat successful have very humble beginnings. It's kind of that drive to figure out the thing that their family never had. You think that's part of what kind of pulled you into finance a bit? Yeah, it's interesting. All right. I go back and forth on this. So my wife, you know, she's Egyptian. She immigrated here when she was nine and pretty much bounced around in families and friends, you know, houses for five, six years before kind of landing, you know, our parents were able to get their own place. And so like we come from obviously two different backgrounds, but of a similar upbringing. And like, we have that same drive. It's like that grittiness that like, I aspire for more, tell me I can't do something and I'll go do it. So I'd like to believe that is true. But on the other side, you know, I grew up with a lot of kids, you know, like my early days, most of my friends, they're in jail right now they're dead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start to think about like, for some, you know, that type of background is, you know, the catalyst that propels them to, you know, greater things or it's their crutch in life. And so I haven't really figured out what the secret key is to unlock the positive side of that, but I do believe it definitely plays a role. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting point. So you spent the time at Informa, which you sounds like had really exposed you to a lot of different aspects of finance. And then you got into the event space, which is you go into advisor circle and what you're doing now. And I definitely want to spend plenty of time on the the cool experience I had at Future Proof and how the different lens you look through. But um, let's make the jump to advisor circle, what you're doing there and then catch us up. And then let's dive into all the cool stuff you're doing now. Yeah. So effectively, advisor circle is a holding company. It operates as a quasi-media company, quasi kind of consulting and marketing company. The belief is that if you look at the media space today, it's very different than even what it was, you know, four or five years ago. And labeling yourself as a media company might sound cool in like the creator sense, but as an industry, it's really in a unique and interesting way. And so we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves into saying, look, we're another media company or an events company. We wanted to keep it open because we believe our unique backgrounds, how we service the community could lead to other avenues that are non-traditional media. And so events could be one vein, you know, publishing could be another. We could, you know, invest, right? We we get a lot of people that come to us and like, hey, how do you scale these things in our space so quickly? And so thinking about distribution and all of these different things. And so 
we'll see where advisor circle grows into today. It's a, a more modern experiential kind of specialist media company, mm-hmm. but it has the ability to, you know, be its own venture company later on and invest deeper into, you know, the people and the companies inside our space that we believe, you know, are kind of doing the good work that will help modernize our industry. And then through our media content and events, we can help, you know, distribute them, you know, their products and services and their message. Awesome. All right. So one of the things, and there's there's a lot of shared beliefs I could tell just even before we hit the record button here with the way you see experiences, live experiences in finance and the way Triad does. And we were talking, you know, one of the things we did at Triad, we made a list of Triad bad words and one of them is events, but you have to say events so people know like what it is you're talking about. But both of us have been to, I'm sure, a number of financial services events over the last decade, decade and a half that we've been doing this. And they all kind of blend together. What hotel was that at? And then you go in like this, you know, the the vendor hall with all yeah. the booths and it's stuffy and you're bumping into people. And and we're like, as Triad came to be, we just turned three. We're like, as we reimagined what a live experience is, mm-hmm. we said events are forgettable. Experiences are life-changing. Events all blend together. Experiences kind of get you a little out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and create connections and, and all of that. And you didn't ask me to say this. I just keep it real on here. Future Proof is the coolest financial services experience no, I've ever attended. And I've, I've attended a lot. And there were a few things. And I, I want to get to like the lens you look through and how you created this. Because I believe in just your second year, you became the largest wealth conference in existence by attendees. Yes. So that speaks to people are like, yeah, that's cool. I want to go there. But things like having it at Huntington Beach, outside, on a beach in California, things like the lineup of really cool speakers you brought in, a lot of podcasters, a lot of people that are heavy in media, Josh Brown, Barry Ritholtz, Joe Duran, I attended a session with him. It, it was it was a really cool lineup. Food trucks, Red Man, Method Man, that's not normal in finance. So I would love to hear, and just knowing our audience is independent financial advisors, primarily in the US, but all over the world, Many of them have grown their business on live events experiences, whether for their clients, whether to acquire new ones through dinner seminars, different things like that. What tips could you give when it's like, here's how to change an event into an experience and the lens you look through? I just love to hear your thought process there. And it's a great shout. I mean, thinking about, and I love how your your framework of experiences to events, we have the same thing. It's like, don't call it a conference, right? We do, you, you know, mm. conferences are a tired version. Um, it's a task to work obligation versus an, like something that I aspire to go to. Look, when, when thinking about events, the very simple thing that I operate is like, am I building something that I would personally want to go to on a weekend that mm. I would want to tell my friends, my family during holidays about? And then if you check those boxes, okay, now how do I make it beneficial? And so depending on your audience or the theme of the event, that obviously will change. For us, as you think about the financial advice space, right? It's, is there enough content? Is there enough networking opportunities, shared moments that are memorable that allowed me to take something out of here and hopefully transform myself? And I don't like to use that word transform because a lot of people like transformation and this, that, but it really is true. If you attend an event where you made such an interesting connection that you experienced something that just made you think differently and you could bring that back to your office, it is transformational. And so we look at it through that lens of, we're not just hosting an event, you know, a lot of people, and even how you described it, it's like, oh, this is the coolest event, it's fun. Like, 
yeah, like our brand is intentional. Like we designed it to be intentional like that, to like stand out amongst the crowd and the noise. But at at its heart, like we're very intentional about how we connect people about the types of content that we put on stage, types of speakers, the different formats, the the way the literally the salt air makes you feel, right? Every little yeah. detail, you know, we treat it almost like it's going into Disney World, right? And so how could you have that effect on our industry? And then I would just say, like at a very, you know, human level, our industry, whether you know, you're an advisor serving, hosting a, you know, a seminar for potential prospects or clients, or you're, you know, someone in our space where, you know, we're hosting an industry event for advisors, like just create the experience at a human level, like at the core, what we're all here to do is like, we connect based on our hobbies, our interests, our lifestyle. Most of your listeners are advisors. They probably have different niches and they serve similar types of people. Like, what are their interests? What do they like to do? And find ways to connect those groups of like-minded people, create those connection points so that they strengthen their relationships, would ultimately will strengthen their referral base to you and obviously grow your business. And so, you know, the biggest thing, like while there's a lot of like, you know, flashy lights around it, calling it a festival, the colors and all, you know, being outside, all of that, like, yeah, that's all true, but that's a form of you know, advertising and marketing. At its core, what we did to transform the industry is we stopped segmenting people based on their advisor channel or assets or job level, all of that. Like that's just segmentation. But what we decided to do is let's create an event where we can bring out the uniqueness of each individual professional that's there. And if we connect, whether you're an advisor, an investment manager, a fintech company or what have you, if we could connect them based on the music that they like or based on a food that you know, they, you know, have passion for, or any other hobby for that matter, if we could bridge that into an experience. Well, guess what? We now just reduce that kind of traditional event guard that you have, right? We, you talked about it earlier where it's like, you go to these events and it's like, all right, I go into content. And then if I'm an advisor, it's like, there's that trade show hall, right? And there's the food there. So I need to go there because I need to eat. But like, I don't want to make eye contact. And you're like, right. you know, you're doing this, the, the ultimate swim move to try to avoid it until the last day. And then you're like, let me go get the tchotchkes for my kids because I've been gone for two days and I feel guilty, right? And then we do this whole song and dance. No one's happy, right? The sponsors who really should be, you know, praised for these events because they support it. They're the reason why, you know, the great events are great because they help mm -hmm. to fund it, right? And so they should mm -hmm. be acknowledged, not, you know, avoided. And then in turn, the advisors that are attending or any attendee, build the experience for them. Don't make them the product. And I think that's mm -hmm. really where, you know, we kind of, it's not too difficult when you think about it, like Future Proof, it's like this big event, but at its core, it just operates like how it should operate, how all events should operate. Yeah. It was cool. I mean, like if I'm like, if somebody asked me, hey, what was your experience about Future Proof? And I just try to sum it up in a couple of words, like it was cool. It was fun. It was fresh. Those aren't, adjectives I use for other financial services conferences I've gone to. But like even you mentioned the Disney experience hosted in a beautiful place, beautiful property, but even checking in the registration process, seamless, easy. Here's an email with like a QR code scan. Boom. Here's your bag. Thank you. You, you all invited me to host a, a live podcast out there. So I, I appreciate that. I'm grateful for that opportunity. If I'm asked back, I, I would love to come back again. Absolutely. But it was just like, boom, here's your session. It was all on an app, intuitive, easy. My check-in process, there were probably 30 people checking in and there was, you know, a little station, less than five minutes. We call it member obsession at Triad. 
like look through the lens of the attendee and look through every like stop along the way. I felt like you all looked through that lens of attendee obsession. It's like, let's make this seamless. Let's make it easy. And then I saw how that impacted vendors who go to these stuffy halls and hotels. I think because it was outside, it almost like opened up this freedom of like having fun. Like I forget which vendor it was, but I had to walk like a tightrope to get like a Modelo. And it was like, they actually had fun with it. So like, Hey, we're outside, we're on a beach. Let's not have like a stuffy little, you know, five foot long conference table with brochures on it. There were some really cool setups there where they almost embraced the space a bit. So I want to, I want to ask you like, and this goes back to kind of, if I'm an advisor out there hosting a dinner seminar or a big client event, if you were to like, kind of say, here's the pregame experience, here's the during, like once they get there and here's the postgame, I saw a really intentional experience all the way through. What would be some mile markers you would check off? Like, as you thought through future proof, if, if you were applying that to a financial advisor that might be doing events or experiences of their own. Yeah. So, I mean, I always say to people, a lot of people that aren't like living and breathing events every day, think about events as, uh, you know, it's the live experience. It's the, you know, two or three days or, you know, one day, whatever the case may be. It's, it's that once people arrive, they pick up their badge. Now what? And what I, you know, challenge my team always, and my team's great at this is thinking about the entire journey, right? So what do people feel when they come to our website, right? If, where do they hear us? What are people saying about us when we're not in the room, right? Virtually or in, in real, in the real room, right? And when they find us, wherever they find us from, in that context, they come to our website. What is that feeling that they get, right? And like you described it, it's fresh, it's cool, it's different. Is it for me, right? Like now I'm interested, I'm intrigued, I want to find out more. Okay, now they'll take that journey. Our, frankly, our view, and I probably shouldn't say this, but our view is like, we want to give you as much information and show that we're trying to not just play a part of this industry, but transform this industry. And if you feel by coming to our website, either you're offended or like you want to mock it because it's not for you. Well, guess what? It is not for you. And we want to quickly mm-hmm. define that so that we could save each of us, you know, time. And so for the people that go onto that journey with us and then they register, what is that? Everything needs to delight, right? We want to surprise and delight at every single level. And that could be, you know, from the point in which they register to the communication that they receive after. Again, just tactically, most people you got someone to register. It's the goal, like get the registration in and then like send them an email with their, you know, badge details. Well, that could mm-hmm. be a nine month journey where you just have no contact. And so, you know, thinking about who are you serving? What do they need? How do you t- constantly, you know, surprise and delight? And then once they get on site, how do you make it to your point of like this smooth transition, frictionless at all levels? And then for us, taking a step further, thinking about the different constituents that we have there and what is the incentive structure, right? I, you know, I talk about sponsors. Like, I think this like dirty thing in the industry is like sponsors are this like evil, you know, investment managers, this evil thing. And like mm-hmm. when it comes to advisors, but like what you don't realize is like without them supporting these events, these events don't exist. And that experience that you desire will never happen. And that's why you have, you know, certain events where, you know, they're not serving you food, right? Or, you know, it's mm-hmm. it just feels like it's stuck in an era where it shouldn't be. And then you have events like Future Proof, where, you know, people embrace this new differentiated approach. We have great sponsors and partners, and they not only kind of conform to our way of thinking, they transform and humanize their brand in ways that don't exist. 
And then what you do is you create a better outcome for them. In turn, you create a better experience for the advisors. And everyone's wins because the incentives are aligned for the common goal. And what happens there is guards are down and you very quickly realize, like, I'm interested in that technology. Or, hey, talk to me about your funds. Or we're casually dressed so you don't have a difference between that person's wearing a three-piece suit and that person's wearing golf shoes, right? And so it just makes it where everyone is more approachable regardless of your industry stature or where you represent in the industry from a company standpoint. And it just creates this very harmonious community and platform, which, you know, frankly, it's not like we knew that going into it. It's like, we just, hey, we're going to do this and see how the industry transforms it. But you could see how much of a need it was in the industry because of how everyone has now evolved and adapted and really building upon it each and every year. Mm -hmm. Were there models or companies you borrowed from with just like, hey, like Disney does this, let's incorporate this? Or like, are there any influences on your live experiences that really impacted how you thought through it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to say, so we made the early connection to like South by Southwest, but it wasn't in terms of like how we build. It was more of like, we need our industry who only does it this way and is conditioned this way to think outside of the box as we present mm -hmm. it. So that was early like, oh, we're the South by Southwest for finance or whatever. Mm -hmm. The truth is like, no, like we didn't because we really pioneered this completely entirely outdoor B2B model, right? Yeah. Not just in our industry, but look across the event space. No one has done this before, right? I get contacted all the time about people like, hey, can you tell me how you did this? I never thought about like Huntington Beach only has venues of this size. Like, how do you do it? It's like, well, we don't use the venues, right? Um, and you start to like just rewiring, like if I wanted to create this, how would it go? And so I would say the the context to, or the genesis behind it really was in COVID, during COVID, you wipe, you know, the ultimate reset for events, right? From a budget standpoint and a calendar standpoint, people are, you know, kind of conditioned to say, I'm going to go to XY event every year because that's what I've always done. Or we're always going to sponsor this event because the feedback hasn't been bad, has been good, but it hasn't been bad. So we're just going to continue on, right? And in mm -hmm. 2020, that actually stopped because there was like you physically weren't allowed to have events. And so we looked at it as, as a unique opportunity to come in and vie for number one slot, you know, having a real impact. And so how do you stand out? How do you differentiate yourself? The funny part about how the festival came to be is like, I, you know, started to poll a bunch of like friends and people in the industry, people I worked with. And what's the best event you've ever been? You know, trying to get characteristics of each one. Yeah. Ultimately, what happened was the qualifying question thereafter was an industry event or a personal event. And I'm like, oh, that's right there. Interesting. That's yeah. the problem. And so when I say, I would say follow up any event, it was music festivals, right? It was alumni, college alumni weekends. It yeah. was local like community gatherings. It was something for your kids where you have a connection with their parents. And ultimately what happened is regardless of your age and your, you know, interest level, there was always this common thread which is like people like to gather around things that connected them based on their hobbies, their interests, and their lifestyle. Whether it's they went to the same college or grew up yeah. in the same neighborhood, kids are the same age, et cetera. So how do you create an environment where people, one, are more approachable, but two, you create themes, opportunities, and frankly, content around things that are of interest to them at a personal level? Because if we could connect them personally first, <laughs> There's an opportunity to get business done second 
and basically further these relationships. Because at the end of the day, we're a relationship business, right? We're not going to events and I'm, I'm selling you this mouse. And, you know, for me to get ROI, I have to sell a hundred mouses. It's not like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you start to think and unpack, like, what are the needs and desires of this industry? You very quickly come to something that is far different than most events pre-COVID. And that's kind of the genesis of how it came to be. And then just, you know, Huntington Beach, how we selected it, it was, I pretty much went on a road tour during COVID where I was like the only person on a plane, you know, the only person they were opening up hotels for me. And I went to everything, right? I went to, you know, Dallas, I went to all San Diego, all of these big places where we frequent at conferences and nothing hit this vision that I had for this like completely transformative festival until the last stop, which was Huntington Beach. I checked out the Hyatt. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, ah, like it's an event space. It's not bad. It's a really nice property. But I'm like, it's still not it. I found myself kind of just like, all right, after a two-week run here, risking my health, I'm staring out at the ocean, you know, from my my balcony. And I'm staring at this endless parking lot. And I'm just like, why can't we have it here? And so I quickly called up our, you know, our venue sourcing consultant who we, he was taking the trip with me. And I was like, hey, can we get a, a meeting with the city while I'm here? And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, I want to take all four properties and I want, can we do this outside? I want to do this whole thing outside. And he was like laughing at me. And then very quickly, you know, we met with the city, kind of shared our belief and, you know, the rest is history. That's cool. That's uh first principles thinking right there. It's like, throw all the rules out the window and I'm trying to create something different. It doesn't have to be inside of a hotel. You know, there's no yeah. rule with conferences having to be inside. I also love just the thought process of, what are the experiences or events you've been to that are memorable that that you'd go back to that you love? And it's it's funny how many of those examples you just gave are completely outside of finance. And yeah. to the hobbies and shared interests, that was one of the cool things. And I don't remember how much of this was on the website, but when I was actually out there, there was a dancing class. There was a there's a lot of like foodie sort of classes, you know, cooking classes. And it was almost like this buffet of like, just pick your favorite thing. It was super intuitive. It was in the app. Let's go back to advisors. And let's just say we've got to narrow it down to three things. And these are like things like we did this. It wasn't crazy expensive and it changed the game for the attendee experience. If there was one, two, three things that an advisor, let's say is hosting a client event of maybe it's 20 people, 50 people, a hundred people that they could borrow from your playbook, insert these three things, and it would turn it from an event to an experience. What would be some tips there? Yeah. So I think one would be, depending on where it's located, like get local, right? Work with local venues, whether that's restaurants and others, chefs and, you know, whatever the act, local activities are, like embrace mm-hmm. the locale. Most people, mm-hmm. you travel around to these spaces and it's like this beautiful resort and this beautiful city, but you don't leave the hotel. So embrace that. And whether that is mm-hmm. venturing out and going on a little tour, that could be as something as simple as like, you know, a bar crawl or a food crawl or something like that. Well, you brought, you brought local baristas in. That was one of the yeah. things, like I was talking to the, you had like little coffee stations. The guy's like, no, I got a store like two blocks over and it was cool. Everyone there was local. Like we bring all yeah. this. That's the one thing about supporting. It's important for us. Like we're not just coming as an industry and like, you know, taking over your city for four days. Mm-hmm. We're embracing it and actually supporting it. And, you know, I think now with the, you know, the scale of future proof, I think we put in like something like five, $6 million indirectly into the city with local vendors and and restaurants and such super cool but going back to like the ways you could take it is like yeah get local 
either, you know, go and venture off, support them or bring them in. They love this stuff. And so you could do a lot of hands-on training and it doesn't all have to be like educational based. So a big thing right now, and I, you know, looking at it as advisor space is like personal branding and marketing. Like that's a big thing. Everyone's talking about growth. Well, like having training there on an educational aspect, but do it in a workshop where they actually walk away with something tangible. So education that isn't just talking about like their portfolio or anything like hands-on shared learning experiences, whether that be something that challenges, you know, my mind or lets me, you know, experience something that I, you know, may be interested in, but never had the time to do. That's a huge win, very cost-effective opportunity. The second one is thinking about what is the experience right when you walk in the door, right? You always want to surprise and delight. And so this year, one of the things we did was we had, you know, after leaving one of those breakthrough sessions, like we knew breakthrough was new, knew there's going to be a large crowd walking in and then all at the same time walking out. And so what we did is we hired local dancers to come in. They dressed casual like like us and they were started walking in the crowd and they just broke out into a dance. And so again, it's like, you know, everyone's pulling out their phones. Obviously that was a little bit more of a cost because it was a production, but do things depending on the size and format of your event to like say, I went in here expecting all of this and I was, it was a, you know, five-star experience. But then on top of it, they did that. That's that one thing because that's what they're going to tell their friends their family about. And so what is that one thing that you want to focus on that maybe that's unique to your brand or to who you are, the theme of the event? The third thing, and it sounds silly, but it's feed people and like give them food and beverage as you would want it. Most people, what we tend to do in the event space is like you manage the business, like you manage your real business, which is through this vein of a budget without any feeling of an experience. And so it's like, whoa, coffee costs this? Like, all right, we're going to shorten the coffee. Well, then that's then they're going to be sleeping in your sessions, right? Like it's like subtle mm-hmm. things. So you have to be willing to make an investment. Obviously, be smart with your cost, but don't cheap out on the experience. And that food and beverages tends to be this thing that is like you could do everything right, but if you give them a rubber chicken or a burnt coffee, that's the one thing they'll talk about forever. And so just think about really leveling up the you know hospitality aspect and the food and beverage specifically within your events. Yeah, on that last one. It was cool because I felt like I was just like actually kind of just walking through Huntington Beach because all of the food trucks were just lined up. It's like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. It was completely by my design, what my food and beverage experience was because I could go get coffee over here. I could go get like, you had like an Italian ice over there and you kind of like design your own journey. And it felt like I was like walking down the street. So I thought that was really cool. And it was kind of an all-inclusive experience. Like I wasn't. Yeah. I was having to pull out my wallet every time, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, um, we call it a create your own adventure experience, right? What yeah. we're trying to say is like for future proof specifically, it's large scale. Like our goal is by 2025, we'll have 10,000 people. We're never going to be able to serve every single person's like desired event experience. But what we can mm-hmm. do is give a large enough experience where you could create and design your own adventure. And that's to the people you want to meet, the industry content you want to have, the hands-on learning experience and moments you want to you know, share in, as well as the food you want to eat. And so everything is remove the constraints. You know, most events, they want you down there early for the opening session. And so they start breakfast at seven o'clock and they end it at eight. And so now you have this like very rigid hour where if you missed it because you want to go work out, well, now you're not eating breakfast or it's an inconvenience to you. And so we kind of just broke that moment. It's like, well, why did we have to have all these constraints? Like, let's just offer basically these food trucks and like a tapas style offering, let's offer it for six hours a day, right? And like, can one, can we do that? Like, is it feasible? And the answer is actually right. yes. It's just, 
just a little bit more work and thinking differently. And ultimately to your, how you just experienced that and shared, it, it's like, oh, I'll try that. Or I'm breaking out for a meeting. Let me go grab this. It's like, cool. I think everything has to be sit down and structured or structured in a way of like, I'm programmed to do this and do this event experience this way. Like let people experience it how they want to experience it. And they'll have a better experience and want to come back. I love those tips. And those are all doable. You know, any advisor, if they think through it intentionally can, can replicate some of that. You hit something that it's one of the things we talk about a lot at Triad. Um, so Kelly, who runs our social, does an incredible job of this. One of the things I'll say is like, if they're not there, I want this sense of FOMO. Like if they're watching through IG, Facebook, wherever, LinkedIn, yeah. I want them to be like, man, I wish I would have been there. And one of the things is I looked at the design, you had a lot of very social friendly backdrops that had like future-proof, bright colors, hashtags, all of that, which by the way, I think a lot of advisors miss the boat. They pay a lot of money for these fun experience, but they're not shared. And yeah. that's free media. That's free reach that they're actually not taking advantage of. So was that part of the design? I'm assuming it was. And how did that play out? Did you see a lot of shares? Did you see a lot of social content being created organically from the attendees? Yeah. So again, initially, you know, you're going into year one, looking at like how not to be the traditional finance conference, right? You start to see like just natural like trends, like, you know, things are Instagrammable as they say. And so how do you Mm -hmm. leverage that where people have fun with your brand and then create and make their own kind of content or experiences off of that. And so it was definitely very intentional from year one, year two, we just built upon that based on the success, but 100% it's, it's our main source of media, like user generated content is our main source of media amplification. And it's hard to say that when you have CNBC live streaming from your event broadcasting, right? So like, if I like to put into numbers, I, I want to say we had something like 15 million social media user generated content impressions over three days. Wow. So like for our industry, for like regular, that maybe it's not that big, but from our industry, as you know, like that's unheard of. And Huge. what's cool about it is to your point of like, people embrace it and then they express how they feel at this event to their audience, which is the strongest ability to, when you talk about referral or marketing, it's not what we say as like the host, right? Because everything is marketing, but it's how Mm -hmm. you make someone feel and how they represent that or even better embody your brand being a part of that community, that effect, you can't pay for that. And so, yeah, it was very tactical to have those moments where we could give people the opportunity or almost like incentivize people the opportunity to like take pictures and share about their experience. But the end result is something that we couldn't have even imagined. And I think that truly is why Future Proof has become the largest you know, live event brand in our space is because people feel like they are building it with us because they actually are versus, oh yeah, I went to this event and I was in this ballroom locked up for three, you know, three days straight. And, you know, I broke out for a steak dinner. Right. And that was the extent of it. You make a solid point there. A lot of attendees are like, man, I went offsite to get a decent dinner yeah, uh, because they're like, I'm tired of being locked up here. Okay. I want to go to one other thing. This was cool. I've heard you say connection and relationship a number of times. So you did something that I think this was the first year at Future Proof. And there's probably a tech stack on the background. So any of that you want to share publicly, I'm sure advisors would love that with whether it's the app that you facilitate. I don't know if you custom built it or outsourced it, but you did connection a way I've never seen it done before. And the best analogy I can say, it's like match.com for a conference attendees. And so you took your registration process 
Mm-hmm. And you created some sort of database. And then it was like, hey, if I go as an attendee or as a sponsor, here's the types of people. And it was almost like this filtering thing. Yep. And then what'd you call that session? The connection yeah. session? What was it? That? It's called breakthrough. Breakthrough. Okay. So your breakthrough session, and I'm just painting a picture here for those that weren't there. Yeah. It was a couple tents and it was just like speed dating almost like set up like two person table and all with numbers on them, one through 300 or however many different tables you had. And here's, I don't know if you've heard this feedback or not, but I talked to Corey Westfall, the CEO of mobile assistant who was out yep. there and he's been to every conference tech. I mean, he's lived in FinTech for well over a decade and he goes within two, three hours of doing those connections. I had more benefit at Future Proof than I think I've had at any conference in like this amount of time because he was yeah. connecting with the people that needed his product that were the right target client. And I share all of this because I think there's a whole nother avenue that financial advisors are missing. I look at client events, many of them, you know, similar demographic, obviously similar belief system because they've all joined the same firm and they do you know, I've got a client on the East Coast. They do like a Boston Harbor cruise and create these really cool experiences. And like these connections have to happen kind of organically where I just happen to go over and grab a cocktail at the same time. But you did it really intentionally. So number one, I'd love for you to share as much as your playbook as you want to. But number two, if you can apply, like here's how a financial advisor could pull some of this off at like a client event, like take it away. Let, share, yeah. share all your secrets, Matt. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll get give some context to kind of our thinking as it relates to our industry. And then I could transition to how it could be applied to advisors at their events. So breakthrough, like most people are like, oh, this technology, technology. At the end of the day, like our industry, we should know already. If you lead in with technology, the technology is not effective, right? Like mm-hmm. what you're trying to do is create an experience or transform something for someone, remove friction. And so really, again, going back to like first principles, it's what are people arriving at events to do? And you know, pre-COVID, you could argue the most important thing that people did or attended events for is content, right? Brad, I never, I couldn't get access to him. I love his podcast. He's going to be here. I'm going to travel to LA to go see him, potentially get the ability to meet him or ask him a question. Boom. It's worth my trip. That's not the case anymore, right? Like what we're doing right here, people will be listening to this, you know, in the gym, on the way to work at their convenience, they'll be pretty much sitting at the table with us having a conversation. And so thinking about the way in which content has become distributed over the last, you know, it's called seven to 10 years and what that means for live event experiences, right? So our thesis when creating Future Proof and really the genesis behind the breakthrough experience is that the only reason that people are going to travel for events going forward is that if number one thing is if you can connect them with people that they either need to know and otherwise don't, that they know but can't get access to, or that they know currently work with but could save a lot of time and money. Again, removing different friction points. And so then starting to map that out is like if you could bring a large-scale audience together that effectively represents the entire industry ecosystem. And you hear us saying that a lot, like we bring the entire ecosystem, that's intentional. What that does is it allows you to create what most events try to operate as is a marketplace, right? For two or three days, you're bringing Mm. the entire industry together, all different company types, all different tools and services, all different job levels and functions. And what happens is you create, as you just described, like we'd like to say it's like match.com meets like LinkedIn sales navigator. 
right? Yeah. And so what we've done now is allow people to opt in saying, hey, I'm coming to this event because I want to meet new people or existing you know, friends and colleagues. Great. The next step is they go and fill out a profile. Five minutes. Here's who I am in the industry. Here's who I am as a person, my interest in my hobbies and like, you know, lifestyle. Here's what I'm hoping to get out of the event. Here's what I'm in search of. From that point, the next stage is we basically put everyone in an interface and allow everyone before the event to see everyone else. Like this whole discovery aspect, it's just so interesting to me. Like sponsors pay a tremendous amount of money to support these events. And like their golden ticket or the thing that is perceived as value is like, I get this stale on arrival spreadsheet of the attendees with inaccurate data. And then what happens is I get it a week before all at the same time. So the larger the event, the more people that get that email list at the same time, the more people that just naturally due to time constraints operate in bad behavior start spamming everyone. So now as an advisor, in our instance, an advisor, you get this unsolicited amount of email where now going into this event that you were otherwise excited to attend, you're like, oh, let me try to avoid this person. Let me avoid that person. You know, I'm not answering okay. this. And it creates that horrible experience that we all, like as an industry, we complain about, which is like people are guarded and, you know, people aren't, you know, there's less traffic and all of this other things. And it's like, well, hold on. Like we are the problem. So let's be the solution. And so what this process is, is really a three and a half week pre-event process where if you opt into meetings, you fill out a profile, then you get access to everyone and their data, right? That's verified by us. So you know, it's accurate. And then you have the ability not to message and do all this other thing that takes time and creates friction. It's props. Are you interested in meeting this person? Very interested? Interested. If you desire to add another, you know, area, which helps in like the, you know, the algorithm is like, why are you interested? And you have a text box of 200 characters, right? And you don't have to fill that in. And so then you just go through it, move, move, move. We then obviously optimize, like there's still bad actors in that, right? They start spamming everyone. Mm -hmm. So we remove them. And so what we do is we create this, not only this platform or this tool or technology, but we create this system in which our industry connects and meets each other at events. And so really we're changing the entire experience early on to allow for people to one, discover other people at the event that they should know or might be interested in knowing by 120 different data points, allowing them to request a meeting. The next process is simply receiving all of those opt-ins. How cool is it? Like the, the biggest things about dating apps is like, when you open it up and you're like, oh, someone wants to like connect with me. It's that sense of feeling wanted, right? And what's the craziest thing in this process was, again, sponsors are so conditioned to think that like they have to push, push, push. They're selling. But what mm -hmm. was the big realization is a lot of advisors, the reason they're coming to this event is to, you know, check out the latest tools, check the latest technologies, sure. the latest investment yeah. products, right? They just want to do it in their own kind of world. They want to control that versus feeling like, again, they're the product. And so what happened is once that opt-in stage came to be, you basically got a lot of industry participants like, oh my God, I got a hundred advisors that want to meet with me and cool. Now you could opt into that. And then what it is, is there's, you create that incentive structure where discovery is easy. The process is frictionless, double opt-in opportunity, right? So there's mutual interest in connecting. 
And then the algorithm runs. And based on, you know, people's schedule and availability, really, it creates up to 24, in this case, up to 24 one-to-one 15-minute meetings. And we're not selling this as like, look, this is your demo opportunity. This is a due diligence session. No, it's like, sit at the other side of the table with this human and see if it makes sense to continue a conversation after this. And that's it. And so the commitment level is very small. It's 15 minutes. It's the most efficient time for you to uh, say it's worth another discussion or not, right? And then you go at it. And so you can get a lot of efficient meetings done while also, you know, taking in a lot of content while also just experiencing the entire, you know, festival. And that's it's really the you know the genesis around the breakthrough meetings aspect and what we do and you know it was really transformative. We had over sixteen thousand one to one meetings facilitated and pre scheduled going wow. in year one, which wow. is exciting. And this was the first time you did it, right? First this time, last yeah. Future per- yeah, yeah. I'm I'm assuming just based on feedback from what I saw, I'm assuming that will be coming back next year. Is that fair? Yeah, we're expecting to double it, both in like physical space and just the, the sheer number of meetings. We had about eighty percent of the entire audience kind of opt in to participate in it. So we expect that number to rise also. And then just the growth of the event we're planning from to go from 3,000 to 4,500 people next year. Such a cool idea. I love the 15 minute too, because it's like a 15 minute meeting. If it's a bad one, it's not like a half hour or hour, right? Where you're stuck. So I I think that's really smart. So I'm curious now, and if there's any technology that wasn't like custom built that like an advisor could go out and like, so now, like if I've got a, let's just call it a client event, I've got a Boston Harbor cruise, I've got 50 retirees and back to connecting on like hobbies. There's golfers in that group. There's wine lovers in that group. Is there a way you think you could facilitate kind of that same concept in a small client event? Like, how would you go about doing that if you're an advisor out there? Yeah. I mean, hundred percent, like, look, there's a lot of, uh, let's make some assumptions here. Clients of advisors, they're obviously high net worth. They are probably either, you know, active entrepreneurs or again, like senior professionals, they all have interesting backgrounds and hobbies. And there's ways in which you can connect your group, whether you're a niche down or whether you cast a wide net based on all of these different things. So first is just trying to understand like, what is that web, if you will, of interest levels? Like what are all the different use cases as to why someone might want to meet with each other? And then mapping that out and then simply finding ways through the registration process and other things to ask those questions so that you could get a decent amount of data without feeling invasive. The other thing that- How long on that, Matt, real quick, like let's just say they go to a website and register similar to to Future Proof. So you might say, you know, top three hobbies and so maybe it's like wine, golf, you know, you've got a different mix there. So now you start to get a cross-section of attendees- should that be a five minute or less process? Because obviously you don't yeah. want to have them write their whole, like, what's your thought? Like just facilitating the gap between you need enough to make the connections, but not too much where nobody actually finishes it sort of thing. I think about it differently. Like, I don't think there's a perfect time. Like some people are like, oh, the least amount of clicks or under this. And there's like right. the non-negotiable. I actually think mm-hmm. about it is we live in a world where data privacy is so heightened that for people to give information, they have to know they're receiving something in return, right? So mm. creating the incentive. Why are you asking mm. the question? If there's something on the other side of that answer that benefits me, I'm more open to doing that. And so the way Got to it. frame it is like for us, it's a two-step process, right? We collect data at registration because we physically need to know, are you qualified for this type of ticket or, you know, we want to make sure we have the right types of food or the right music genre 
at the event. So we're asking you these non-traditional questions because people know, all right, now the experience is going to be hopefully customized to me more. There's a carrot at the end, right? And so, okay, that's step one. That allows us to understand who they are in the industry and their interests, hopefully create a better large-scale experience. The next stage for us is for people who show interest in wanting to meet, well, to make this process more meaningful for you, i.e. be able to connect you with other like-minded individuals or people that at service level, you may not see the relevancy, but based on this, we can, we're going to ask you another series of questions. And again, I think our registration process is probably, you know, depending on how you do it, you know, four to five minutes. The profile completion, again, is another probably, you know, four to five minutes, depending how deep you go into it. Not everything is required, of course. But thinking about it less about like, you know, as you would build technology or software, like least amount of clicks, what's, you know, the visual, like that's all important. I don't want to discount that. But ultimately, it's creating an incentive structure that is like the why in which I'm asking you this. Yes. How do I get, what am I getting out of that? And so if you could create that already, I think that gives you the ability to inquire more because it's going to benefit them in the long run. And so that's where I think you get really interesting. And most people, you know, if you look at it in our profile stage, I think we have like 50 different hobbies and interests, you know, everything from, you know, sports and activities to, you know, kind of uh, leisure experiences and travel to different foods and music and all of these different things. And you'll be shocked. Like the, the areas in which people like try to breeze through is like, what are you coming to the event for? And it's like, you know, industry themes, but it's like, tell us about, you know, what excites you. And people are, you know, it's like, people are like, Hey, I could only select 10. Right. It's like, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's like people actually embrace that. And so as I would look at it, if I was an advisor creating, you know, retreat style event for my client base and prospects is, I would map out, you know, what are the the characteristics of, you know, my ideal persona, my current and perspective, and then put that into a series of questions with all these different data points, and then allow them to select them. And then from that, that will quickly allow you to say, like, who is best to meet? And that could be based on their same job profession. That could be based on their same, you know, kind of financial ambitions. That could be based on locale. That could be based on sports teams, whatever the case may be. The process is actually pretty easy, especially in today's world where you have like something like ChatGPT and this AI where you could like dump in a bunch of data. It's a rules-based process, right? So I want to connect people in 15-minute intervals and they have to have five matching characteristics based on this data. And like it's instantly, it could do that. And so then you could just work through that in creating the experience. Obviously, our algorithm allows for that to do instantly and then it places people on our number of tables, a little bit more sophisticated in that regard. but there's really not a huge constraint to someone trying to do this. It's just a rules-based algorithm model based on qualified data. Thank you for sharing that thought process. I mean, essentially that's attendee obsession. Like, what do you want? And if you give us more info, we can better deliver that access to those connections that are going to serve you. I mean, that's, it only, I mean, makes sense, right? It's not, not that complicated. Um, I would assume also that that data, as you guys siphon through, it's like, wait, we don't have this, this, and this. We need to add that because 25% of our attendees want this thing. I'm, I'm assuming it all helps influence the actual live experience as well. 100%. I mean, so much. And like the funniest thing is as an industry, I think our, our biggest issue, and I say this as like an events industry, but also as a financial advice industry is we make a lot of generalizations, right? We assume this person <laughs> has this you know, net worth. This is who they are. And it's like this very persona-based building. 
and mm-hmm. it couldn't be further from the truth. And what we've uncovered in like asking these questions, which maybe feel a little bit more invasive, right, is that we actually are able to create and curate a better event and experience for each individual. And more so, what we found is like, wow, there's a people are more unique than they are the same, and that is super cool because. What happens is as an industry, especially in like financial advisory core across the websites, like we talked about it, right? Every different shade of blue, right? Everyone has the same kind of look and feel. You see Mm -hmm. copy that other financial advisors, whether you aspire to be them or are competing with them, you see the copy they use and then you're like, all right, I'm going to take that, you know, that sentence. And then we're all starting to talk the same language. And what happens is we just like constrain ourselves. Like, and most people with, you know, let's, let's be honest, like, financial advice is it's a service business. And so like, what are the things that differentiate you at the end of the day, access to the same products are relatively the same cost is relatively the same. You start to think about it. It's, it's you, like you are the business, right? So how do you represent you on your website through your events, whatever the case may be, because that's what sells. That's why people mm-hmm. work with you, agree to work with you, continue to work with you and refer you. And so thinking about being able to get like, valid data that allows you to better create this and better represent your offering, your brand, your business, more importantly, and something that most people don't talk about, also allow you to say like, this client isn't a good client for me, right? Or, hey, through this discovery, I should be spending more time and energy marketing or creating content in this area, right? That's the type of things that as a data-driven business practice that you'll uncover. And most people, we talk about data all day long because it's finance, but we actually don't implement it ourselves in how we built our businesses. Yeah. Well, let's go here. We've got a little bit of time left. So one of the things to your point, like if I was going to paint a broad brush, what did Future Proof and what did you help create that stood out and was different? You led with the personality of the experience. And back to your like, oh, let's if I'm a financial advisor, oh, that sounds good on this other advisor's website, copy, paste. I've, I mean, we help build websites for hundreds of independent financial advisors all across the country. And here's what you would see. You'd go to the about page, which by the way, analytically is the number one click section because everybody wants to know like, who is this person, yes. right? So you click the about, here's the bio, stuffy shot, suit and tie. Even if the advisor doesn't even wear a suit and tie normally, they're in a suit and tie on the yes. website, right? And it's all of the... The profile, the bio info is like super professional, boring, like here's my designation, yes. blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, I'm married with three kids right? at the end, like as an afterthought. Yeah. And what I saw you all do really well by design is you led with here's the personality of the experience, different color scheme, not like shying away. It's like, no, we're for this group that's maybe more drawn to like music festivals and fun and connection but not the stuffy group that wants to go to a typical conference. And I see a lot of advisors, like they're fun people when you get to know them. That's what I love about this business and the relationships, but it's almost like they hide it professionally. It's like, bro, let that out. Like, come on. Like, that's what this thing's about. So you, I was doing a little research and you had a comment about the future of finance and you said something to the effect. So if I butcher it, please correct me. Kind of this influencer sort of it's happening everywhere but it's definitely happening in finance, like influencers and unique, distinct personalities and brands will be the future of finance and where this thing's going and what attracts like-minded people that fit that niche that they're serving. Like I've seen you start to do it in your live experiences. I've seen it with some of our top performing clients. What's your take 
on that thought process. Yeah, look, I, I'll kind of go through my own personal journey here. It's like my 20s coming out of college, we started with this. It's like, you know, I wanted to be in this industry so bad. So I started to conform to it. I changed the way I dressed, the way I talked, you know, the way I did my hair. Like I became a shell of who I am. And then I carried that for a full decade and I, you know, elevated in my career. But again, I became more distant to who I really was. And, you know, I found myself at the age of 30 sitting here almost like a midlife crisis. I was like, you know, not in the best health. I had a toxic relationship, you know, with my, you know, former girlfriend who I lived with forever. You know, work was kind of stagnant, not inspiring. And yeah, like professionally wise, I was growing every year. I was raised, you know, making more money than I ever imagined to make. But I hated myself. And, mm. you know, I take that because I believe that like what we try to embody at Future Proof is a little like personal ambition to like, I don't want people that were me either not being allowed in the industry or feeling that they have to be someone else in this industry. Because to your point, like the more successful you become, the more confident you become, the more you become, and that's who you attract. And that's mm -hmm. going to increase your client retention. That's going to allow people to build closer bonds with you and then want to refer you again, which allows you to grow your business the way you want to grow it. So stop, you know, hiding yourself, Ex you know, expose yourself, all the flaws. That's the beautiful thing about us as humans is, we all are imperfect and that is what makes you unique. And that is what makes your business, the business that you want to build and your clients attract. And so, you know, it took me a while to do it, to figure that out. And so my hope is if, you know, we're successful from, you know, future-proof standards, it's not going to be by business metrics. It's really like we, you know, I keep saying this 10,000 number. It's not just like, a, oh, we want to, you know, grow a big event. Our belief is that if we can get this thing to 10,000 people, this completely outdoor event, casual, connect this, you know, very professional guarded industry to the end person, right? The investor who we all serve or aspire to serve. Well, then we have just hopefully changed the optics and the perception of the general public on our profession, which is the thing we need to do most. And frankly, and Josh, obviously close friend, like Josh on CNBC isn't going to do that. Right. People, you know, in talking into, you know, industry talk is not going to do that. But if someone is scrolling through Instagram who is a potential client of an advisor, but doesn't know where to even start or ask a question and comes across future proof as if it was Coachella. And it's like, what is this? Oh, mm -hmm. these are, this is this industry. This industry is fun. Oh, this industry mm -hmm. is diverse. All right. Now I know the people that I might be attracted to. And now I'm hopefully become more financial savvy and actually aspire to learn and grow. And so, you know, obviously it's fun. It's exciting. We want to connect people in interesting ways, but you know, our like North star, if you will, is certainly to become large, a large enough platform where it kind of changes the perception of what a financial advisor is and move it from like that old school wall street, three piece suit, you know, commission-based like, you know, view to where everyday people that want to help you build the life that you want to have right and like support whatever that ambition is and so obviously it's like a little fluffy there but that's truly how i feel and you know personally taking like my personal story into this and helping a lot of people and i know you mentioned it like most of the time you look at someone's website you jump on a call and you really get to know them you're like why aren't you talking about this like yeah like, no doubt it's a different person yeah no, i love that and you mentioned downtown josh brown he was the he was one of the early guys on twitter I was like, man, he keeps it real. 
but yeah. unapologetically real. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it's one of the reasons he's him and, and Barry, his, his business partner, have built such a, an incredible brand in not that long a time because he was not afraid to be who he was. And by the way, yeah. that turned some people off too. And he was okay 100%. with that. So yeah. I mean, he, he did it his way and I give them all the credit. I, you know, I've known them since they had, I want to say like 300 million and we're just kind of you know, scrappy RAA mm-hmm. with, you know, frankly, like their model is like, they get poked at a lot. Right. And, you know, I love it because they were early on into this and it's like, yeah, like savvy social media and all that, but just really keeping it authentic and real. And they attract, like they don't have people that are going outbound. They attract all inbound increase. And that's how they, you know, grew their business. And now what happens is they have this loyal client base that is bringing their friends and family. And it's just a beautiful model. And so, yeah, no, I love those guys. Obviously the last thing I'll leave you with here is, you know, it's important in your career to, you know, find those people that you, you know, are long-term people and that share the same vision. And they certainly are to me on a personal level, but also from a business standpoint, like friends for life, people I enjoy, I look forward to hanging out with, not just because we do business together. And I think that's critically important for most people to think about as they're, you know, finding their way in their career. Yeah. That's one of the things we say around try it a lot, play long-term games with long-term people. That's 100%. It's just like compound interest. It gets better with time. So do relationships. It's it's so true. uh, Well, okay. So couple minutes here. I'll finish with a question that we finish with always on this show, but we didn't unfortunately have time to get into all of the cool speakers, but I did want to just like in the minute here or two, I was able to sit in, you interviewed Joe Duran, former CEO of United Capital. He had some really cool takeaways of just the future of the wealth management space. And one of the things that hit home that I loved is like, you know, these crazy multiples of like buying RIAs that are, he, he almost basically said they were depleting assets because you've got this 4% withdrawal rule, a 1% yeah. fee on top with, you know, a guy that's lifestyle in it, not really bringing in. He's like the, the highest multiples are going to go to organic growth sort of companies that are growing year over year, not depleting year over year. And so number one, I love hearing that because that's what we're helping our triad members do. But I'm curious, like if there's one, two, three takeaways, I know you had an incredible lineup there with a lot of just who's who when it comes to finance were there any like aha like golden nuggets that you left future proof with whether an interview you you hosted or just a session you sat in on yeah i mean it's interesting right i think joe obviously he's proven to be just uber successful and smart and i actually took a lot from you know behind the stage content with him and so like thinking yeah. about how he positions you know, his life. And it's not just, you know, obviously he's, you know, positioning now rise and you know telling the story of United Capital. But what I thought was foundationally interesting to him was like, just be different and stand out. And a lot of things that I didn't quite realize at United Capital, like his success was not like, oh, I'm, I'm early to like this M&A or this, you know, acquiring model. He basically only acquired teams and firms that had a kind of millennial or younger advisor stance because his view is to your point is like it's organic growth but if you have someone that just has or assets have stayed like that and they're just basically looking for you know a secession plan like that's less attractive like yeah you're gathering assets so on you know face value it's interesting but what's the future of that and so like i thought that was really interesting not to like think about it through a spreadsheet in the traditional mna space right but more so about what is the team dynamics what are quite literally the age and the ambitions of individuals And it just showed a lot to like someone who I just looked at as like the ultimate, obviously a visionary in our space, but the ultimate deal maker, seeing like Mm -hmm. the inner workings of how he thinks about it 
and the connections. And so his next thing, if I, you know, kind of teased out a bit was he truly thinks AI is going to transform the space in ways where it will make certain things more attractive that might have not been attractive in terms of business characteristics previously. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's things like that. I would say for me, it's less about what are the, you know, the one or two golden nuggets that I got from someone on stage. It's more about those speakers who are storied and and obviously very successful actually engaging in the grounds of the event with other people and almost having yeah. like those cocktail conversations is what i like to say that to me is where i get the most some are confidential obviously but others you know mm-hmm. people are just very open and i think it's a testament to what future proof is where it's like your guards down the, you know you're seeing the ocean people are just like have a question i'm happy to help because this industry is very giving it's just we built this stereotype that it's like very guarded and structured and like exclusive versus inclusive and it's actually quite not yeah yeah you said it earlier it's it's creating access and and i love i i saw yeah. that you know the the person would walk off stage and walk right down in the crowd and then they're over there interacting with somebody around a you know a cocktail table so yeah incredible experience all right well last quit map this has been really fun man this time i really enjoyed this so yeah. i appreciate it all right so this is the do business do life podcast and one of the things we were talking about before we hit record like there's so many shared belief systems between future proof how you do things and triad and how we're trying to create a really intimate experiential community but one of one of our criteria to get into the community is we want to do business with people we want to do life with and kind of the intersection versus the balance where it's either or and so i'm curious we've talked all about it but like if you had to define what that means for you matt like here's my definition of do business do life how would you put that into words yeah it's interesting like you know start this business two and a half years ago now. And it's a lot, you know, there's a lot that, you know, I look at, it's like, I don't really have life and personal life and uh, professional life. It's all just one big blur, Mm -hmm. like most of us Mm -hmm. nowadays. And I always like go back to it. Like there's certain moments where, you know, you have to have a, a moral code is my belief, frankly, and always stay true to that. And it's not always going to be equal. And so what I mean by that is there's going to be times where your business is more demanding and, you know, you only have a certain time, you only have certain, you know, energy, find that, you know, pace that like, all right, I don't need to achieve this then, which means like maybe family takes slight backseat at a time and then very quickly it reassess and that you had over-index on your family, right? Or, or your personal obligations. And so the way I always look at it, and I'm very fortunate, my now wife, you know, we got together, we were in college, we broke apart for a little bit. She ended up having a child who I now adopted as my son. And, you know, it's his birthday, ironically, he's turned day today. And so, you know, I always look at it as like, he was the catalyst that propelled me in my career to really think like bigger than I ever imagined and like not think selfishly. Mm-hmm. And so like, for me, very simply, it's like, I always just tell people like, wake up every day and be the superhero your kids think you are. And whatever that means is to you, right? But You know, an example of this is, you know, I coach my son's football team, his basketball team, because he asked me to, and I'm like, can't say no, but my wife sits in the background. It's like, you can't commit to this. Like, you're not gonna be able to do it. And it's like, you know, that natural instinct, you're like, tell me I can't do this. And what you really will find out is test your limits constantly, but just know what are your core things. Like to me, family is everything time spent. I'll never get that back. It's great. Like I grew up with not much money. So like, obviously I'm motivated by that. My son has no clue, right? He never grew up in those conditions. Hopefully he'll never have to experience it. So what he, what is he going to want? He wants my time. He wants my attention and make sure that is that. So to me, it's like, what makes you a superhero in everyone's eyes and try to be that every day. And that hopefully will you know keep you on that guiding path. I love that, man. 
it's funny you bring up coaching football. I, I played football in college and my oldest now, like that's his favorite sport. And, uh, the gift of being a coach to him through fifth grade, sixth grade. And I thought I was done because he hit junior high. And then he, we've got this little team he got picked up on and I, it gave me a chance to be his coach again. And I, yeah. I looked through this lens of we've got a finite time. Like I read a blog, wait, but why Tim Urban, great writer. Yeah. If you're not awesome. familiar, but yep. he looks through these different frameworks and he said, in between zero to 18, 90% of the days in a year, we will most likely have with our children. As soon as they hit 18, it drops to 3% if they come back five times a year for two days at a time. And so we've got this like finite time that unfortunately, like I've been guilty of taking that for granted. Yeah. And the more I zoom out and look through the lens of like, man, the time is ticking. I will regret not saying yes and being that superhero you're talking about yeah. um, when he's out of the house. And so I just love that lens you're looking through. It's like, no, I'm going to find a way. I might not know how, yeah. but I'm going to find a way to be the coach. And so, so true, man. Well, yeah. hey, this has been an awesome conversation, Matt. Hopefully we connect in person before I go to Future Proof next yes. year. So uh, thanks for the time, man. This, is, this has been awesome. And I know there's a lot of benefits, all the advisors listening in out there. Really appreciate it, Brad. Always a pleasure, my man. All right. We'll see you. Till next Take time. Care. Okay. On to this week's featured review. It comes to us from iTunes user JGOL17. They say, incredible stuff. Five stars. The new pod is top tier. As an advisor that was struggling in this industry not so long ago, it's incredible. This content is free. Awesome insights, teachings, and personalities on the show. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Appreciate the kind words. And yeah, it's interesting. Sounds like you got through a tough patch and now you're leveling up. And I, I think everyone in life, they face those seasons of life and way to stick with it out there and way to continue to grow and level up and, and plug into content like this or, or others out there. I know there's a lot of great content when it comes to financial advisors and leveling up there. And, and I think that's the cool thing is... You know, there's no excuse out there for leveling up anymore. 2,000 years ago, you might have had to have been by some big city like the Roman Empire where there was a library somewhere. But today's day and age, the only excuse for not leveling up in life is not actually putting out the effort because it's all out there on a YouTube video, on a podcast, on an audiobook. And that's what's so fun is the democratization of information and how... If you want something bad enough, you're one book, you're one podcast, you're one video, one online course away from making that a reality if you're willing to put in the work. So glad this is free for whoever wants to give it a listen. Glad it's adding value for you all out there. And we'll keep the episodes coming. So thanks for the support. Thanks for listening in. And we'll catch you on next week's episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode.
These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations.